0: Today, what, last couple of weeks, we've gone over first in paragraph one the necessity of Holy Scripture. Um, the necessity of Holy Scripture, and, and that is that, that God, in His wisdom, has chosen to give sinful man written down revelation about how to be saved, what to believe about Him, what our duties about Him are, because we are so sinful in heart and mind that, that we naturally don't do even the things that God created us to do. And God, by His mercy and grace, instead of leaving us in the place where we were, He gave us something necessary. He gave us special revelation, but on top of that, or as a part of that, He had that special revelation written down so that by the contriving of the devil, the sinfulness of our own hearts, we would not obscure the revelation that God has given to us. He has been good to us. Last week, we considered the canonicity of Scripture? How do we know that the 66 books of the Bible that we have are really the books that we ought to have? And we briefly tried to see how we, can, how we can look at that. And then today, we're going to look at the sufficiency and clarity of Scripture. And this is something that we've looked at, really, a number of times over the last six months. And so, um, it's going to be a little redundant, but hopefully helpful for us. And turn to a familiar passage with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, as this is just the classic text of the Scripture's sufficiency, and then we'll look at a, an aspect of sufficiency, which is the clarity of Scripture, okay? That is that Scripture is not really sufficient if it's totally unclear, okay? Second Timothy, chapter 3, and um, I'm going to read from verses 10 to the end of the chapter just for some context. You, however, so in contrast to the false prophets that he's being warned about, you, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And that is from the Apostle Paul primarily. And how from childhood you have been acquainted And we, we see there a very plain description of the Apostle Paul that as he's battling and the Apostle Paul in this last letter that he writes is preparing Timothy that he's going to leave this earth. He's no longer going to have the beloved mentor that he has. He sets Timothy's eyes on the thing that his eyes should be set on to have a profitable and God-honoring ministry. And that is the Holy Scripture the Holy Scripture, because it is God-breathed, it's profitable for everything. And in verse 17, as we've highlighted many times, that this would be emblazoned on our minds and hearts, that the man of God may be complete, that is, mature, equipped for every good work. Okay. Now, the uninspired text of our confession says this. The whole counsel of God in chapter chapter 1, paragraph 6, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Okay, so we see this statement of its sufficiency. Um, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's uh, salvation and life. And the first thing we notice is that there is a scope to the Bible's sufficiency here, right? We've talked about before, this is not a calculus textbook. It's not a geography textbook. And the illustration we used a couple weeks ago, if I went to my mechanic and he said, I fixed the brakes on your car and I used nothing but the Bible to do it, I would be worried about if I'm going to make it home in my car or not right because the Bible is not given to give us an exhaustive knowledge about everything that has ever happened on this earth it has an express purpose by God it's to convert the soul it's to be used to teach us who he is and what our duty is toward him now the scripture might give a foundational like foundation for all learning right we know that God exists, and therefore that means that we ought to behave in certain ways, but it doesn't exhaustively tell us all these things, nor is it meant to do that. Um, the Bible is not omnisufficient, but it has a sufficiency for everything that we know about God and everything that we're to believe. And the everything word is what we need to stake everything on, okay? That there is nothing outside Nothing that we need to do that would please God that is outside of Holy Scripture now, to work that out a little bit we read uh, let's let's turn to Matthew chapter five, for instance, Matthew chapter five. We see Jesus in preaching the Sermon on the Mount tells us in verse fourteen, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a light on un- Uh, a light, a lamp, and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that in the house. And verse 16 is what we're focusing on if you're still turning there. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? So we're told by Jesus Christ that we must do good works. And the question, if we're trying to be faithful and obey the Scripture, is what are good works? Everything for life and godliness is contained in the Holy Scripture. There is no good work that is not contained in the Holy Scripture that we are bound to do, nor is man able to name any particular thing that we would do and say, this is a good work, but it cannot be found in the pages of Holy Scripture. Now, good works, that's true, and we might have in our minds the, the testimony of the prophet as well that he says... He has told you, oh man, what is good. Right? To do justice, to love kindness, and all these things. But the point is, He's told you what is good. He's told you what is good. But it's also sufficient for knowing the negative of that. What is sin in our life? Right? We can, as tender-hearted people, be convicted of things that are sinful that really aren't sinful because the Bible and the Bible alone is sufficient to tell us what transgression of the law really is. Okay? We look to the Bible alone for these things. We don't look at tradition. We don't look at culture. Okay? We look to the Bible alone. Um, Now, the next phrase might cause us a little bit of anxiety. Maybe not. It says that the mode of this sufficiency is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in Holy Scripture. Got it, Bob? All right. and so we know that the Bible expressly—that is, it clearly, not implicitly, but expressly—sets down things that we are to believe and think. Can we think of any examples? I hope so. We're expressly to believe and think, or do. God created. God created. That's right. Thou shalt not murder. Right. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus is God. Okay. These things are expressly set down in Holy Scripture. And there's many things there. Now, we might be tempted to think that it's only the things that are expressly set down in Holy Scripture that we can read in a verse or two that are necessary for us to believe. But notice the little phrase there. It's not only the expressly set down things, but it's the things that are necessarily contained in Holy Scripture. That is... Not only are the express things written in a particular verse of the Bible, the things we're to believe and do, but those things which flow from logical implication. Necessary logical implication. Okay, It's not just the logic of man's mind attached to the Bible, but when we read the Scripture and we try to put it together and form doctrine, what is necessary, absolutely necessary, this has the same force of command as any expressly set down, thing in Holy Scripture. Can we think of doctrines, commands that are necessarily contained in Scripture, although they might not be stated in a verse? Classical eternity. Trinity. The hypostatic union of Jesus Christ, right? These are the clearest things that we can think of. Um, the, yes, the hypostatic union being the this is 100% man and 100% God, right? We, we find that nowhere stated in Scripture, but we see many texts that say that Jesus was a true man, right? It says that he had a real flesh like ours. He was created and always like we are, yet without sin. But Romans chapter 9 says that Jesus Christ is the, the, God, the God who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay? So when we think about those things and try to put them together, We're not going to talk about the hypostatic union in all of its detail right now. But, when theologians sat down, they came up with the doctrine of the hypostatic union because they saw it as this is necessarily contained in Scripture. This is the only way that we can faithfully say who Jesus Christ is without going beyond the bounds of what Scripture says in its totality. Does that make sense? So, we must have that in our mind that necessarily contain things in Holy Scripture, they have the same force as, as a direct command. Okay? And I would put on top of that, that the Bible is given to us, not just for us to memorize, even though memorization is a wonderful, wonderful thing for us, but as we read in the Psalms, the Word of God is meant to meditate on, right? To behold wondrous things in the law of God, right? The Bible is given to us in, in a way to, to do theology, to think about how the Bible is written and what it means. That's why we have teaching, isn't it? That's why we have good edifying books that we read, Pilgrim's Progress or whatever it might be, is because the Bible was given to us to meditate on, to think about, and to, to form thoughts and doctrines about who God is and what He is. But the point is it's only taken from the pages of Holy Scripture. Okay? Okay? We have any questions about that? Okay. Um, we have Psalm 197. could be quoted here: "The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. The, the word of God is so perfect and so wonderful that, that we look to it. Um, with, with confidence. Now, we've already talked about this, so I'll be brief. But there's also an implication to this sufficiency. If the Bible is everything we need, our, our minds ought not to be directed to other sources of revelation as something that we need. Um, over and over again in Isaiah chapter 8, we are told to the word and to the testimony. Right? If, if this is not their word, then light is not... In them, we, we believe in the sufficiency of the Bible, and so therefore we don't, we don't seek other sources of revelation. Um, we can seek teaching of the Bible and what the Bible says, but never in addition to what the Bible says. Um, okay, now the, the next thing that we talk about is if the Bible is sufficient, and this borders on clarity, okay. Um, Does that mean that every person, no matter who they are, can pick up the Bible and read it and understand it the way that it's supposed to be understood? We'd say no. And first of all, the the distinction between believers and unbelievers, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says the natural man does not receive the Spirit of God, the the things of the Spirit of God, because they're foolishness to him, right? And while that might not seem very strange for us to hear... um, a lot of the Campbellite movement, so Church of Christ and, and this kind of thing, they would say that the Scripture is so clear, and you can, there's a website in particular, and this might be not what every Church of Christ person believes, but if you pass out the Bible to 100 different people on the street, and they read these certain passages, they'll all come up with the same exact interpretation because the Bible is, is so clear in that particular way. Now, I think that if we have any experience in the Christian life, we'd say... That's absolutely not the case, right? If we passed out a hundred different, or if we passed out three different Bible verses to just us in this room, who are a pretty small uh, stream of Reformed Christianity, we'd probably come up with different interpretations, right? We need the inward illumination of the Holy Spirit to teach us what the Scripture says. Now, the reason for that is because we are sinful in our hearts, right? Adam and Eve, they, they received some knowledge of who God is and what their duty was towards Him, right, in the, in the Garden of Eden. But in the time intervening before the Scripture was written down, man's heart was so so corrupted by sin that they had forgotten much about who God was and what God required of them. They needed it written down again. We need the inward illumination of the Holy Spirit to, to teach us what the Word of God says. Um, It's necessary for a saving understanding of the things written in the Word of God. Um, Especially seeing the beauty of them. Um, And we see this in multiple texts, as we just said in 1 Corinthians 2, but also in John 6, 45, Jesus says it's written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Right? It's not possible for somebody not illuminated by the Father, in, by the Holy Spirit and the Father, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, and so we have the sufficiency of, of the word here. Um, but also we need to talk about the clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. And this is in paragraph seven. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Okay, so we need to stop there. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves. Okay? where, where Where would we find a scriptural defense of that? There are some things in Scripture that are just hard to understand. Second Peter chapter 3. Um, I think we went there last week as well. Second Peter chapter 3. Um, Peter just plainly states this. And I'm glad he does. Because otherwise, I would... I don't know what I would think about myself every week when I'm trying to study the Scripture. Because I come across most passages. And I say, I'm not exactly clear right at this moment exactly what this is saying to me. Maybe that's a confession that's too much, but it's true. Um, no, notice, uh, where should we start here? Uh, we'll just start in um, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Notice this. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, and we might be thinking of Romans 8 at this point, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Okay, We looked at this two weeks ago to show that, or last week actually, to show that Peter viewed the writings of Paul as sacred writings of Holy Scripture with the same authority as the Old Testament Scripture. But here we also see that he's saying that there's, there's certain things that Paul writes are just hard to understand. That is, I think Sam Waldron, my professor, said that this, this old fisherman it has a hard time wrapping his mind around, perhaps at times. Okay? So, not all things in Scripture are alike plain in themselves, but there are some things in Scripture that are exceedingly plain. Okay, Things that accompany especially what we are to believe about salvation are exceedingly plain in the Word of God. That I believe that any person imbued and indwelled by the Holy Spirit could pick up and learn that they are to believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, and live a holy life to God. And we could add many other things to that, right? Those things are clear, but not everything, not every doctrine, not everything that we're called to believe is exactly clear in Scripture. Okay, And not only is it not all things that are not clear, but they're not equally clear to all of God's people. They're more clear to some of God's people than they are to other of God's people, right? And this is the whole reason why we, God has said that we need teachers in the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostles, they were to teach the church everything that Christ had commanded them to the end of the age. It's the reason that Paul and Peter and James and Jude wrote letters in the New Testament, because all these things aren't just alike plain to us. We need to be taught these things. Okay, um, It's clearer to Paul, perhaps, than Peter, even, when he's writing. Um, and so we need, we need teachers in the church... Because of the clarity of Scripture. And like we've talked about before, those two things are in opposition to one another. We believe the Bible is sufficient and clear, and therefore we seek out teachers, right? Now, the opposite of this is believing that the Bible isn't clear at all, it's totally muddied, and therefore, what would be the conclusion? We have to be taught, or it's just hopeless. I can't know what this means. I can't know what the Old Testament means at all because I don't know what the the original authors had in mind. I don't know if editors got in and and fixed some things. So, So I'm just hopeless. I can't even look to the Bible anymore. I have no confidence in it because I can't know what it means. This doctrine tells us we can know what the Bible means, but sometimes we have to use the means of seeking out other people that might understand it better. Of of looking at a good commentary, of reading a good book, or a number of other things, right? The Bible is clear, it is sufficient, and that's why we can have confidence saying, somebody's thought of this in a clearer way than I've thought about it before. Probably, right? Any questions so far? Sufficiency, clarity, it's not a light clear unto all. And we've already gone through this a little bit, but... The Confession goes on to say, yet those things which are necessary to be known and believed and observed, so that's not only our doctrine, but our practice for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or the other that not only the learned, but the unlearned in the due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. So clearly stated that even the people that can't read and using a due use of ordinary means can come to a sufficient understanding of the things that are necessary, okay? The Bible is sufficient. And so how is this applicable to us? That's right. That's right. have different or education levels, but we're both able to come to and see what some Amen. Amen. Yeah, and that's absolutely right, brother. It kinda combats American individualism and evangelicalism, that, that my own private interpretation is the only thing that matters, right? Nobody can tell me what to think or do, and your interpretation is just as good as mine. This tells us that there is a real meaning to Scripture, and it can be known. It can be known. Um, I think it also tells us that the reason why Scriptures aren't clear to us sometimes is because of sin in us, Right? The reason for all doctrinal error is because we're sinful, right? It's not necessarily because of intellect or anything like that. It's because we we twist the, the word in our hearts, okay? Um, what other application can we give to this? Because as me and Joey go through this, just to be... Upfront with you about it, we, we want to go through the confession and teach it with an aim in all of our lessons that we would leave with a doxology, that we would leave praising God because of the things we learn, not just to puff ourselves up or whatever it might be, okay? So this is immensely practical to us. And, and for me, the temptation, um, when, when we look how to raise our kids, um, deal with our spouses, live in church together that we aren't primarily going to outside sources to know that we want to go to sources that teach what the Bible says about these things because the Bible's sufficient for all of these things right and we can often be left with if we think the Bible's unclear or it doesn't say something about this we instead of trying to do our homework we just say well I'm going to go to somebody else that has the answer some secular authority that can tell me a practical answer to this right which is okay we can go to secular authorities where they can give us some tips or something, but we must first and always be trying to ground what God says in the Word of God. There's a, there's a hope and a humility that you knows the book is. Right? Mm. The hope is that reading, when there is when there is texts that are hard to understand, we we know that we're not left without revelation of, of God. It's not a hopeless endeavor to search the scriptures. Yes. Mm. It's, it's my own finitude, right? And I need I need patience in the spirit and brothers and sisters. But but it's a hopeful pursuit you now, it's not an aimless pursuit. Yeah, amen. Amen. That's good, brother. That's good. Anything else we can think of of the sufficiency and clarity of Scripture? Okay. The only other part that I have in here that we have time to go through, so I'm going to go through it. And I I was going to skip over it, not because it's unimportant, but we're going to be dealing with it at length when we get to chapter 19. In the middle um, of paragraph... Let me see here, what paragraph is that? I should have written that down. Um, In the middle of paragraph 6, we see, nevertheless... We acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of the Word, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the Word which are always to be observed. That's simply kind of foreshadowing the idea of the regulative principle of worship that the Puritans had, that whatever God commands in Scripture is right to do in worship in God's house, and whatever God does not command is wrong to do in God's house. But there are certain things that are common to human actions in societies, okay, such as what time we're going to meet on the Lord's Day, right? The light that we have in the sanctuary, Right? sitting down, all those kind of things that are common. Every, every human society that meets together has to establish certain things, how they're going to do that. And those are circumstances of worship. And those are free, by God's people, to do in ways that are, that are prudent and that we don't necessarily have express command in the Word for. Right? Do we, can we think of any scriptures that would, that would tell us to use sanctified reason... When we're putting together some of these circumstantial matters of worship. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. Paul uh, reason among yourselves, is it man to have long hair? It seems to appeal to some kind of general revelation there, even though don't like sure. yeah, oh, I don't know how much freedom I've got to do. I thought you were going right here. and You're right on, on the right track. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Um, and I want us to notice first the problem that was in the Corinthian church at the time that Paul is trying to help them uh, combat. In verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Let all things be done for the building up. So, what's going on in the Corinthian church at this time, and some people have said that there was no elders in the church, and I I don't know if any of that's true. But, it seems that they were coming together, and what happened is that there was just chaos in the service. Right? Everybody's bringing something. Somebody has, this is a hymn that we we need to sing. So they bring a hymn to sing. Somebody brings an interpretation of Scripture that they want to bring up. And it was just not an orderly service. And then... In verse 40, Paul says, "...but all things should be done decently and in order." Right? So, Paul doesn't give an exact way that the service should be laid out. He doesn't prescribe every particular instance of how things should be laid out. But, the main goal is, like all human actions in societies, if you went to the local carpenters' union and they met together, they have to do things decently and in order for things to run. Or else it's just confusion. The same way is true with God's church. With these circumstances, right? We, we are to see to that things are done decently in order. Okay? Okay. So, that's kind of an aside to the clarity of Scripture, but I don't want us to leave here without seeing the main point. The Scriptures are sufficient for all of our life and godliness. We can clearly and happily and hopefully look to Scripture and know that it has the answer to what we are required to do and what we are required to believe and that they are clear. So clear, in fact, I can with hope and faith go to brothers and sisters who might have better clarity, go to church history, to those who have written about it, and know that the Scriptures will teach me sufficiently everything I need to know for a godly life and for salvation in Jesus Christ. All right. One more time. Do we have any questions or thoughts? Okay. I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much.